What's up, shitheads? Today is Wednesday, December 7th, and over the weekend, Kaylee Goncalves' dad said that the Moscow Police Department was inexperienced and he didn't want anyone making mistakes on his child's case. Understandable. He also said that they're not exactly the most tech-savvy people. So all in all, he doesn't think that the Moscow Police Department is equipped or knowledgeable enough to work this quadruple homicide given their lack of experience working on homicides. To be fair, the FBI was called in to assist with this quadruple homicide, but Mr. Goncalves is not wrong about the inexperience that the Moscow Police Department has when it comes to investigating homicides. The research was pretty disturbing. The cases that were found, and they were found based on Moscow's annual crime stats because I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss any. Well, all of those cases were solved because they were murder-suicides, had confessions, or they had eyewitness statements, or they just went unsolved. It appears that the Moscow Police Department has never solved a homicide case on good old-fashioned police work alone without substantial outside help. Ever. So on the next two episodes of The Situation, we will be taking a look at Moscow, Idaho's previous homicide cases, the police department's track record in dealing with and solving these prior cases, as well as how they compare to the current quadruple homicide. Let's take it back to 1969. 18-year-old Janice Lynn Foyles was in her freshman year at the University of Idaho and working as a waitress at the Tip Top Cafe when she was bludgeoned to death with a hammer on December 28, 1969. In the beginning, there were many theories circulating about this case, but all the cops' leads grew cold and remained there. Sunday, December 28, 18-year-old Janice was working her shift at the cafe, which had apparently been a very slow day due to the students at the University of Idaho being out for the holidays, and Janice was closing the cafe when she was bludgeoned to death behind the counter. Janice was found by her brother around 3.30 a.m. when she had failed to come home that night, and it's believed that he found her an estimated six hours after the homicide had occurred. At the time, Moscow Police Sergeant Dave Williams told news media that we believe this is an isolated incident. It does not seem to be the work of a psychopath. Sound familiar? Doesn't that sound exactly like what they've all told us following the quadruple homicide on November 13th? Police say a claw hammer was most likely the murder weapon and described it as missing one claw. The same tool reportedly kept behind the cafe counter and used for small repairs. Also the same tool that went missing from the cafe and was never found. Information that the police waited 15 years to release to the public. Police also said it would appear that obviously robbery or some kind of sexual assault was not the motive, so that would more than likely lead you to believe it was a crime of passion. Obviously, with multiple blows too, there was some rage involved. There were numerous people that were interviewed on this case, but none rose to the level of being called a suspect. Remarkable similarities to the current statements given by Moscow Police Department, right? This case might have been from 1969, and we might be having a flash from the past right now, but it's looking very similar to the current situation. One month later, after Janice was murdered, Moscow police captain at the time, Robert Means, was quoted as saying, Our investigation has turned up several productive leads. We believe we are narrowing the field. 
Well, it's been 53 years since Janice was murdered, and the case is still open and still unsolved with no suspects. Several years ago, this case was inquired about, and there was a statement that said, typically on any unsolved case, we don't close them, said Moscow Police Lieutenant James Fry, who oversees the department's detectives division. None other than the same James Fry, who is now the current chief of police that we see speaking in news conferences about the current quadruple homicide. Another super strange similarity between the current quadruple homicide and the 1969 murder of Janice was that around 8.40 on the night that Janice was murdered, a Moscow police officer was making the routine rounds and noted that the lights were still on at the cafe, but that wasn't unusual for closing time, so he didn't check. Putting an officer right in that location around the time of Janice's homicide, just like in this current quadruple homicide, we have an officer, what, 200 yards away dealing with an alcohol infraction at three o'clock in the morning when police say that the quadruple homicides occurred between three and four a.m. Another similarity between the 69 case and the current quadruple homicide is the lack of known information. Police know way more about Janice's 1969 case than they've ever been willing to disclose, even after all of these years. It's been over 50 years, and people still don't know anything about the crime scene. And I know that you don't want to jeopardize the integrity of a case, but damn, maybe sharing some information might give you the break that you need. Which James Fry himself was quoted as saying that a lot of these cases... That's what it comes down to. You've got to get that one tip that gives you the information to follow up on, which does require some shared information between police and the general public. There was no information shared clearly in the 1969 murder of Janice Foyles, and maybe that would have made a difference. It took 15 years for them to release the murder weapon and a very distinct feature that they believed that murder weapon to have had and had people known to be aware for such a tool with such a distinct feature, they might have noticed that tool in their home or in the home of someone they knew. But you can't look for things that you don't know need to be noticed. And, you know, it's a gamble. If they had released that information, the killer could have disposed of the murder weapon in a panic, but hell, he could have done that anyways. After the 1969 murder of Janice, there wasn't another murder in Moscow, Idaho for 23 years, not until 1992. In 1992, a man by the name of Yance Noak was shot in the head following an alleged disagreement at a home. The killer was being questioned by police after being arrested on a charge of obstructing police by filing a false crime report when he just admitted he took his handgun to the victim's home and shot him in the head after he was asked to leave. So the 1992 homicide was solved because the killer admitted he did it to police. In January of 1999, a University of Idaho student by the name of Will Hendrick went missing from a party off the corner of Almond and C Street in Moscow. Will and his partner Jerry had been together five years at the time, and when Will didn't come home that night, Jerry kept thinking that he would come home. But instead, a night that was full of friends and laughter turned into a night full of questions that are still left unanswered. That party was the last place that Will Hendrick was ever seen alive. 
Will's car was found parked downtown, interestingly enough, one week after he was reported missing, and Will's work keys were still inside, there was mud caked on the wheels, and there were some other key details that only someone as close to Will as his partner Jerry would have been able to notice. When asked about it, his partner Jerry said, I remember when I got into the car, the seat was way back as far as it could go, and Will drove with the steering wheel right in his lap. So somebody who wasn't Will had driven that car that day or moved it. The lead investigator in Will's case said that both the driver and the passenger windows of the car had been rolled down a couple of inches, and as a result of that, the cold winter air seeped through the cracks and washed away any possible fingerprints that could have been used as evidence in Will's case. Three and a half years passed after Will went missing before he was finally declared murdered when his skull was found in the woods of eastern Lataw County. The lead investigator on Will's case said that we should have been able to solve this case. This was not an unsolvable crime. Back in 1999, the Lataw County Sheriff's Department and the Moscow Police Department were both working Will's case, but they didn't agree on some things and they were working the case from different angles. And as a result of that, the communication in Will's case was lacking. Disagreement on information between resources and cases from Moscow's past appear to also be Moscow's present. We see an example of that in the quadruple homicide right now with Coroner Kathy publicly stating that she disagrees with the police on their theory that this was a targeted attack. It's been 23 years since Will was murdered, and just like when asked about Janice's 1969 homicide, James Fry, now the police chief, said, We always believe that there's always that one piece of evidence that'll tie everything together or somebody knows something. We believe somebody knows something out there. At the time when Will's case began, several possible suspects were investigated, including a truck driver who lived in the same trailer court as Will and Jerry. Will's partner, Jerry, always believed that the neighbor was the one responsible for Will's disappearance, and he said that the neighbor left town the same morning that Will disappeared in a refrigerated truck, no less. Not unlike current circumstances and rumors circulating about a particular person of societal interest, because police say they have cleared him, in the current quadruple homicide investigation. However, the truck driver suspect in Will's case left town to go to Florida on work business, which was confirmed by his employer. There were other suspects in Will's case that were looked into and investigated, but here we are 23 years later and Will's killer has yet to be identified or brought to justice. On the night of December 11th, 2001, Tanya Hart was murdered in Moscow, Idaho after leaving a Hanukkah party. Later that night, she was in her trailer when she heard a knock on the back door and opened it. Upon opening the door, she was shot at point-blank range, once in the chest and once in the face. One of Tanya's neighbors heard the gunshots and immediately went over to Tanya's trailer, and there he found Tanya bleeding on the floor and dialed 911. When emergency services arrived, they declared Tanya dead at the scene. Police caught a break in Tanya's case in August of 2002 when a local citizen arrested for a misdemeanor offense informed police that around the time of Tanya's murder, he had sold a handgun to a person by the name of David Meister. 
The model sold matched the exact make and model of the murder weapon in Tanya's case, which led to further testing, and police discovered that the ballistics found at the murder scene matched the handgun that was sold to Meister. When the police first questioned Meister, he denied having any knowledge about Tanya's death, but he also didn't have a solid alibi. The police had evidence from the footprints that the shooter wore a size 9 skate shoe, which happened to be the same shoe type and size that matched perfectly with Meister. Based on the shoe and footprint evidence that was left at the crime scene, as well as the knowledge that he had recently purchased the exact same type of murder weapon that was used in Tanya's case, police arrested him and charged him with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Right after his arrest, a witness came forward to police and claimed that Meister had told him about the murder, and the witness said that Meister had confessed to him about killing a girl and described Tanya's murder details perfectly. With this new witness statement in hand, police went and questioned Meister again, and this time he confessed to having shot Tanya. But he also stated that allegedly... A guy named Jesse agreed to pay him $1,000 to commit the crime with a bonus of $100 if she was dead before Christmas. This case ends up getting real messy after that, but long story short is that Meister goes to jail for the murder of Tanya, and Jesse ends up getting out of any charges involved in Tanya's murder, but then he gets into some more criminal trouble and ends up getting out of that as well, which is neither here nor there. In 2004, Eric McMillan, a University of Idaho football player, was shot at his home. Police responded to a call for gunshots, and when police arrived on the scene, the victim had already been taken to a Moscow hospital where he died. However, police were given a license plate number of a car speeding away from McMillan's home by an eyewitness, which led to a car chase by the sheriff's department that extended across two state lines before ending in an arrest of two brothers from Seattle. Now, just to make sure that everyone is keeping track so far, the 1969 murder of University of Idaho student Janice, still unsolved, the 1992 murder, 23 years after Janice's, is solved, but it's solved because the killer, while speaking to police about a different issue, confessed to being the killer. The 1999 homicide of University of Idaho student Will Hendrick still remains unsolved, and the rest of his remains have yet to be discovered. The 2001 homicide of Tanya Hart, though solved, was solved as a result of someone being arrested on a misdemeanor charge and then telling police that around the time of Tanya's murder, they sold the exact murder weapon to someone, they gave that person's name to police, and that person ended up confessing to killing her to police. The 2004 murder of Eric McMillan, a University of Idaho football player, was solved because an eyewitness gave police the license plate number of the killer. Out of the five cases that we have covered on part one, Two of them are unsolved. One of them had a confession. The other one, information was given to police about someone having the murder weapon and their name, which led to a confession. And the fifth one was solved because an eyewitness gave police the license plate number of the killer. None of the cases that we've discussed so far were solved by good old-fashioned police work. 
And that's a wrap for the history of murders in Moscow and the Moscow Police Department's track record in solving them. I will see you guys on part two.